Hi, I'm Donna King, filling in for Mark Rotterman. North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson joins us to discuss education in North Carolina, the upcoming legislative session, and what's next for this outspoken powerhouse in North Carolina politics. Next. Major funding for Front Row with Mark Rotterman is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Nicholas B. and Lucy Mayo Body Foundation, A.E. Finley Foundation, N.C. Realtors, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash Welcome back. Joining me today is North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. It, it, it's good to see you. I'm so glad to see you here right here at the holidays. And Absolutely. I know you have, we all have a lot to be thankful for Always this certainly time do. of year. We Absolutely. Certainly do. Very blessed. Yes, Thank yes. You. So this week's been a big one, though, for uh, education in North Carolina. State yes. Board of Election meetings. This is something you, you do, you sit on for as your role in Lieutenant Governor. But there really were some controversies this time around, namely uh, licensure for charter schools. Tell me a little bit about how that debate went. Uh, well, I, uh, unfortunately, I missed uh, the debate, sure. uh, and uh, I had to recuse myself from one of the votes because uh, of some things that uh, I'm connected with. But it was very contentious, and uh, my concern with the entire thing, and we won't sure. get into the particulars, but my concern is I want to continue to make sure that uh, charter schools and those who run charter schools are treated fairly across mm -hmm. the board, that people aren't uh, held to a higher standard or uh, unfairly treated because of political pressures or because of, of entities that they may work for. Sure. And I think we saw a little bit of that maybe uh, in the vote uh, for those schools uh, uh, this past, uh, sure. just on yesterday. So uh, our concern is to always make sure that all charter schools are held to the exact same standards and that the folks that are making those decisions aren't making them based on uh, political beliefs or on ideologies that have nothing to do uh, with the substantive issues uh, of a charter school. Now, a charter school is a public school. It's Absolutely. part of the public school system. Absolutely. Um, but it has a unique role in that it operates a little bit independently. Do you find that uh, that there, you're hearing constituents say, look, we're, we're looking more at charter schools, particularly uh, over the last two or three years, we're seeing an increase in enrollment. Oh, absolutely. Charter schools, uh, when they're operating well, uh, we have parents that are flocking to charter schools. Unfortunately, many of our public schools are not uh, performing well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the fault of our teachers or our administrators. Sure. I, I lay that blame uh, specifically at the feet of, of the school bureaucracy itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, but parents are looking for different options, homeschool, private school, charter schools. And we need to make sure that those options are open for all of our parents, regardless of uh, what station of socioeconomic uh, station they find themselves in. They need to have that choice. And so we want to make sure that those schools and the folks that operate those schools are treated fairly and held to one standard across the board and not uh, several sets of standards. Sure. And the vast majority of North Carolina students do go to traditional Absolutely. public schools either way. Sure. So, you know, that's something that we've seen a lot, particularly during shutdowns and that kind of thing. You've talked a little bit about, you know, a parent's Bill of Rights or, or something like that coming through the legislature. We have yes. a session starting up in January. Do you think there's an appetite for something like that this time? 
Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a huge appetite, uh, if not for the legislature, and I'm sure there are many in the legislature that have that appetite. Right. But the, the bigger concern is the appetite that we see in the general population. Uh, the, the Virginia elections of a few years ago, uh, one of the driving forces, the second driving force, as a matter of fact, uh, was education. Mm -hmm. Parents are getting out like never before. Uh, one of the things that COVID did was to expose many of the things that are going on in education that our parents object to. And parents are getting involved. They're running for school board. They're going to school board meetings. They're going down to their schools. And when they find themselves being dissatisfied, they're actually taking their children out of these institutions and finding places for them to go. So there is a huge uh, appetite for that. And just my philosophy in general is this. Mm -hmm. uh, the very first tenet of a great education system is an education system that not only involves parents, but allows parents to choose and allows parents to be uh, the person that is uh, in charge of their children's educational destiny. We have got to have that here in North Carolina, and we've got to uh, make that a reality. Sure. I mean, I think parent involvement is a good thing. I mean, I, you, I was a PTA president. I know you've been involved, too. Um, what are you hearing from parents about uh, what they found? Because there were some silver linings. I think a lot of kids maybe thrived in online school and have found that as a homeschooling option mm -hmm. or things like that. Do you think parents are, this is a permanent change, or do you think it was a lockdown change, parents' engagement in public schools? I, I don't think so. And I think one of the things that's happened, and not just during the, because of the lockdown, but because sure. of some other things that have come the light. I think a lot of our parents are, are shocked and dismayed about some of the materials that have been presented to our children at, in, in public education. Uh, they're very dissatisfied and they're also dissatisfied with the statistics. The most shocking statistic would be the fact that we spend, you know, 50 percent of our state budget on education and we're having a difficult time teaching our children read on, on a grade level. Uh, that is not a good statistic. Uh, the recent statistics that came out from the federal government on the poor performance of schools across the board, mm -hmm. all of this stuff is waking our parents up and getting them involved. And that is exactly what we need, because like I said, in order for an education system to be successful, the number one tenant needs to be parental involvement. Sure. But you've also taken some criticism for, uh, you know, talking about books and materials that are in some elementary school. Yes. I think the term banned books has yes. come up, which is a really loaded, very powerful term Absolutely. for a lot of folks. Um, explain a little bit about what you were, what you meant, what you were saying about those materials. So uh, I, I'm not in favor of banning any book. Sure. <laughs> what I'm in favor of is following the law. And uh, the law prescribes that ad adult materials, as prescribed by the law, shouldn't be presented to minors. And in many of our education systems, we are seeing that happening. There are many, many books that are being presented to our children that have highly objectionable, highly adult materials that are not suited for, for minors. You know, you can't take your children to an R-rated movie if they're, if they're under 17 years old. They're not allowed to go by themselves. Sure. A, a child cannot visit uh, uh, an X-rated website. Uh, the law says that that cannot happen. If I was to give these materials to a child at a, at a park, I could be held criminally liable. The same thing, the same standard should be true in our school system. Uh, there's, a, there's ways to teach children about all types of things in our schools, but it does not include, uh, that does not include presenting them with adult materials. And we see that happening far too much in our schools. Sure, sure. And speaking of education, um, I'm worried also about the next level, high school, apprenticeships, college, job training. Those things are critical. And some of those things went away or were challenged during some of these shutdowns. Talk a little bit about the North Carolina apprentice program, apprenticeship program you've gotten involved in. Well, that's one of the things we're most proud of in our office is the fact that we we were able to secure over $11 million for apprenticeships uh, in this state. Uh, my philosophy, again, one of my philosophies about education is this. 
we really need to bring back, uh, uh, we need to bring back the premise that a four-year degree, while a four-year degree is great, if that's the route you want to go on, that is not the only pathway to success in this country. Uh, we have to open up a, the myriad of ways that our children uh, can make successful careers, and that includes apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. That includes the, the skilled trades. We have got to get folks back into those things. There are many children out there that want to pursue those things, but they find themselves uh, faced with these uh, decisions made by educators to push a four-year uh, university degree. Again, there's nothing wrong with a four-year university degree. De degree. If that's your plan and your purpose, then take that route. But if you want to be a mechanic, you want to be a plumber, you want to be an electrician, we should have readily available tools and systems for our students to move into so that they can do those things successfully. And you can make good money. I mean, that, some of that is, a, is sort of, you know, what we, how we envision those roles. But Absolutely. We need to shift it. And not only can you uh -huh. make good money, we have so many programs in this state where, that you can move into, learn those trades, and come out debt Free, and that's a huge thing. That is a huge thing. We hear a lot about student loan problems, but that doesn't happen as much with the trades. That's exactly right. Okay. These folks are coming out debt-free, making sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, and that's a good thing. That's what we want. That sure. energizes people and gets them ready to set up a great life. What about starting new businesses and your, your the long-term uh, financial gains of this? For sure. We, if you look across the board, a lot of our skilled trades, plumbers, electricians, uh, those professions are, are, are doing what we call they're aging out. Sure. Uh, those, those folks are older. We need younger people to move in, learn from those folks, uh, build their skills up, and then start their own businesses so we can continue to have the services that we need. That's exciting because, I mean, it, it there, it's hard exciting. to find. Yes. It is hard to find. Now, um, one of the things that we've got coming up here in the next six weeks, month or so, after, just after Christmas, as uh, Lieutenant North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor, you said as President of the Senate, Tell me what you're expecting from this session. So the Senate now has a supermajority, which means, you know, with Republicans having 30 seats, uh, they that body could override a gubernatorial veto. Uh, the House won shy. They're probably yes. not as able to. Um, in the Senate, does, does a supermajority change what you're expecting to see from them? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Okay. And we're, we're, being, we're being very cautious about what we're going to see out of, this, uh, okay. out of this cycle. We've got a lot of work to do. And uh, we don't want to uh, take the take the opportunity to put a, put anyone in a box right now. Sure. Uh, we've really got to, as a party, we have really got to take a look at everything that we have on the board, everything that our constituency wants us to go to Raleigh to fight for. We've got to lay that all out, and we've got mm -hmm. to make careful steps. We're in a great position right now. Sure. We're in a great a great position. But if we make missteps that, that, that could cost us dearly, we could, uh, we could really uh, ruin a golden opportunity. So we really need to take a step back, evaluate what's going on, and move forward cautiously. And I'm sure the Senate is going to do just that. Sure, sure. So one of the, some of the issues that we've been talking about, uh, Medicaid expansion. This yes. is something that Republicans and Democrats have been divided on for quite a while. Yes. We saw Senate Leader Berger um, you know, sort of switch course and say we, you know, we might be able to find a path forward, Senate passing it. Yes. Do you have any uh, any of what might happen in this session with Medicaid expansion? I do not. I've had some conversations sure. with some of my colleagues, and they're as varied as uh, the opinions are across <laughs> this country. Uh, but uh, my, my, one of the things that I was most impressed with when I sure. stepped into this role uh -huh. uh, was how level-headed and how sensible the, 
all of my colleagues are in the okay. Senate. Uh, the Senate is a place where we uh, oftentimes uh, work very hard to find common ground. And I'm sure that whatever course of action we take in the future, I believe it's going to be the right one because they're, they're very cautious in their steps sure. and they usually make the right decisions. Sure, sure. Any issues that you're particularly looking for out of the session? You know, education? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Always with education. Sure. We're always looking for, for quality uh, education uh, legislation. It's going to continue to build a, a quality education here in North Carolina and reverse some of the sad trends that we've been seeing over the years. Sure. Our current superintendent is mm -hmm. working very hard right. on the literacy issue and anything that we can do in the legislature to help her continue to do that, uh, we're going to fight hard to make sure that happens. Sure. Some of those those test scores that did come out, you mentioned them yes. a minute ago, and, and talking about someone's educational destiny. Yes. Um, it, it's difficult to picture some of the kids that went through these shutdowns. You can't just, you know, write them off and let them move on. They, they've got a destiny to to find. That's exactly right. I, I imagine it almost like being on a wagon train in the sure. old days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody could just magically, magically drag that wagon train back 500 miles or 1,000 miles, sure. it makes it just, just that more uh, difficult for you to reach the ultimate goal, the ultimate destiny. Sure. And that's what's happened with our children. They really, COVID really pulled them back sure. and held them back. And we've got to figure out some inventive and creative ways to get them caught up because we cannot allow that lag uh, to cause a failure in their lives. Sure, like what? Like, you know, we talked a little bit about summer education. What do you think should be some of those efforts to catch them up? Uh, I think, and here's, it's just, this yeah. is just my opinion. Sure. I think that that should be left up to the, to the, the, uh, the teachers. Sure. I think we have not given the teachers the mm -hmm. opportunity to be able to do what they can do in the classroom, to right. use their talents in the classroom uh, to combat these challenges. We have leaned on the legislature. Mm -hmm. We have leaned on uh, uh, high-ranking administrators sure. and, and others to do this job. What we really need to lean on is the experts, and sure. the experts are the teachers and the principals. We need to allow them to apply their talents to, sure. to, to bring those things to operate there operate. because they have they have brought them up. You know, teachers have done tremendous yeoman's work, absolutely bringing them up to speed absolutely. as far as they can. But it's not easy. You just can't say enough about the job that our teachers do under the sure. difficult situation that they find themselves in now. Not just with COVID, but with other things, the discipline issues and others. Those yeah. folks go to work every day under very difficult circumstances and get the job done every day. We need to make sure that we make their jobs and their lives. Better. We need to increase their pay. We need to treat them like professionals, and we need to allow them to be able to use their talents in that classroom fully. Absolutely. Shifting gears a little bit, energy policy. This is something that we're thinking a lot, particularly as the temperatures drop, gas prices go up. You know, families are, are working on, uh, you know, just keeping things going every single month. But the long-term strategy, you know, what should our energy policy, do you think we'll see anything this session? I know you've got a group that's working on this. Yes, we do. We have some things that we're working on and, you know, we really don't have time to, to go into it fully sure. here. But I can give you my, my just a broad overview of how yeah, I feel please. about energy policy. Uh -huh. Here it is. I think that energy should be market-driven. Sure. Uh, the moves that we currently see by the federal government and by other states, even here in this state, to push uh, electric vehicles, uh, to push fossil fuels out, uh, it's been very damaging to families. It's been very damaging to our farmers who are finding it difficult to fuel their vehicles and buy fertilizer to continue to grow the food that we need. What we really need to do in this nation is this, and I, and I firmly believe this, and I'll continue to say it. Number one, we need to be energy independent. We need to drill for oil on our own shores. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we can do it better, faster, and safer, and we take care of the environment better than anyone on this planet. 
we need to drill for our own oil. And while we are doing that, we need to continue to, to study the effects on our climate and continue to search for the next best option to fossil fuels. We have not found that option yet. Right. We are not ready for electric vehicles. We don't have the infrastructure, and quite frankly, I don't believe that we have the natural resources. Sure. We need to find solutions that are going to work, and the solutions that we're going to find are going to be in common sense science and in right. the market itself. So we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, regulatory uh, requirements for yes. things like electric vehicles. Um, what do you think? Do you think so? Then you think we're not there yet? We're not in a in a place where the government can start mandating uh, use of electric vehicles? We're not. And I think if we do it, we're going to find ourselves in a very bad place in, okay. in many in many sectors. In fact, we already have, as I mentioned, with farmers. That's one of their number one issues: is sure. fueling their vehicles, buying uh, fertilizer. Uh, it's it's very tough for them right now, and right. the reason reason why is because of bad federal policy. And that policy is being driven by uh, those who ha have adhered to climate change instead of hearing, adhering to common sense. Sure, sure. Uh, now, you have a new book out. That's something we've we talked about a little bit. Uh, we are the majority. Yes. In that book, you do say that, uh, you know, you're very seriously considering running for governor. Yes. You know, I think that you've gotten a lot of support about it. What, yes. what makes what draws you to that role? Well, what draws me to it more than anything is the support that we get from the people across the state. I cannot sure. tell you how many times I've, you know, I, I go places and people shake my hand and say, oh, I'm shaking the future governor's hand. <laughs> and it's very encouraging sure. to be able to have uh, the support and, and, and more than anything, the, the confidence that we've been able to build up in folks. Right. Uh, and I think that's largely due to the vision that uh, we've built up, our, that our team has built up, uh, and the encouragement that we give to the citizens of North Carolina. Sure. So that gives us great energy to want to move forward to possibly do that. Sure. Do you feel like one thing that, that about North Carolina that I love but is also frustrating, we're very blue in some areas, very red in others. Do mm -hmm. you feel like that message speaks to everybody across the state, urban and rural? We do. Mm -hmm. We do. We feel like the message that we have uh, speaks to everybody. Certainly with okay. some of the social issues, we're going to find resistance. Sure. But overall, one of the things that I've been saying is this, you know, we may not agree on two or three issues, but if you take the average North Carolina citizen, two, two citizens, both uh, whether they be Republican, Democrat, standing beside each other, sure. there may be three issues that they vehemently disagree on, right. but there'll be 10 others that they do, do agree on. And we need to come together as a state and as a people, quite frankly, in sure. this nation. And know when we need to set some of our differences aside to work for greater goods. And that's what we intend to do. Absolutely. And, and actually, you talk a little bit about that in your book. Uh, you talk about developing that, servants, that servant leader, that, that heart in, in young people and, and helping them find their servant leader, uh, you know, the, what their plans are. It's, I have two daughters and a son. It's hard. Yes. It's hard raising kids in, in a cultural environment uh, where they might not find the opportunity to lead as much as yes. others would. Um, what is your advice as you go through this? And, and how do you view what we should be doing to develop that next generation of servant leader? The number one thing, it goes right back to what we're talking about, the thing that touches everything, sure. education. Right. Education is the key uh, to the pursuit of happiness. And if we are not properly educating our kids and are not allowing them to have a quality education, if we're not allowing their parents to be in charge of their educational destiny and allowing teachers, talented teachers, to drive the education system, mm -hmm. we're doing our, our children a disservice. So that's the number one thing that we've got to do. We've got to make sure that we open up every educational opportunity possible to the students of this state. I believe if we do that, we'll find ourselves in a great place in the future with our leaders. Sure. What about, you know, families and church? 
Asian communities, I feel like one of the one of the leftover scars from COVID shutdowns is that we've sort of lost touch with our our neighborhood JCs and our church community, and families are becoming more isolated. Absolutely, that's a huge part of it. That's a huge part of it. One of the worst things that happened during COVID was the, the the separation of people. We see how important connectivity is, collaboration actually is. Sure. And uh, we have got to get back to that in our communities. We've got to start bringing people back together for the purposes of moving forward to make our communities better. Absolutely. So um, what else are you gonna be looking for as we go into this new year? You know, we've got 2023, they say they, they say 2024 elections started the day after yes. the 2022, yes. but we still have a year to go. What are yes. you hoping to see for North Carolina coming out of the next year, 18 months? Uh, there are several things that I'm hoping to see. I'm, I'm certainly hoping to see a reversal of the decisions we made concerning voter ID. Okay. Uh, I'm certainly hoping to see uh, a continuation of the economic success that North Carolina has experienced since 2011. Uh, the efforts that we've done so far have been fantastic, but we've got a lot more that we can do. We see a lot of great economic opportunity on the horizon. We need to continue to make sure in Raleigh we do the work that we need to do that opens the door even more to economic opportunity. And of course, again, there again, there is that huge education piece. We sure. need to start right now on the process to correct every ill that we have in education because that's going to be the key to our future. Sure. Some, a lot of these, you were talking about economic development, a lot of the companies uh, coming into North Carolina, uh, do you feel like they are hiring from within, providing some of those apprenticeship opportunities? And how do we make sure that our students are getting a chance to get in that door, not just having companies bring people with them? There's, as a, there's a mix of that, mm -hmm. but those, those companies are going to bring opportunities all the way around. You know, there's right. a huge swath of opportunities. When you talk, when you talk about building a, 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 a big company in, a, in sure. a small town, that opens opportunities, not just within that company, but it opens up opportunities in that community. Right. People that move there are gonna need, uh, they're gonna need services. Sure. And folks can start new businesses and there's gonna be a call for more plumbers and more electricians and more workers in grocery stores and, and other places and restaurants and, and things of that nature. So uh, it opens up opportunities across the board. That is why it is so important to teach our children about all the opportunities sure. that exist. Because it's not just the opportunity inside that factory that, that's open to you. There's also the, all the extended opportunities around that factory that you can make a reality for sure. your dreams. Sure, that's what we were talking about. Mechanics and you know, exactly dry right. cleaners and all of these service industries are a critical part of building this multi-generational town. That is exactly right. Sure, right. sure. Yes, so, you know, as we close out 2022, I can't believe we're already there and yes, welcoming in 2023. Do you have any New Year's resolutions uh, personally, professionally, anything like that? Well... <laughs> Personally, it's, it's not really a New Year's resolution. It uh -huh. started far before New Year's. I sure. have, uh, uh, I've made a commitment to my health. Good. Uh, I was at a very bad place in my health uh, uh -huh. during my campaign and, and the beginning part of my uh, uh, beginning part of my administration. Mm -hmm. And I made a commitment to to take my health into my own hands because you know we talk a lot in this state and in this nation about health care sure. and it about to be being a right. Uh, I happen to think the health care is a responsibility. Sure. And that responsibility starts with the person in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, biggest, the, best, the, the biggest part of health care is self-care. So mm -hmm. many of the things that we suffer with in this nation, diabetes, heart disease, strokes, those things are caused by poor decisions that we make every day. Uh, I know the people of this state are very wise and very strong, and uh, I want to encourage each and every one of them to do the same thing that I've done, sure. which is take 
your uh, health into your own hands. Uh, exercise, eat well. Be, when you wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror, mm -hmm. say, I matter and I can't do anything for anyone if I can't do anything for myself first. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that we've really taken hold of and we really continue to, uh, we're really going to try to continue in that vein because uh, I want to look like a completely different person <laughs> this time next year. Well, we want to be able to recognize you. So Absolutely. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Good. Well, that is exciting. I think a lot of folks are taking on those exact same, uh, those exact same types of resolutions. Yes. I know in our family, yes. we're, we're committing to, uh, you know, reading a book a month and yes. talking about it at the, yes. ki at the kitchen table and rebuilding some of those connections. Um, but it is, it's critical and multi-generational connections. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Fortunately, we have, sure. you know, good technology to allow us to do that. Yes. I really appreciate you coming in and, and joining us on Front Row. And of course, uh, your book, uh, We Are the Majority. Uh, how, what inspired you to, to write that? Well, you know, um, I, I gave that speech in front of the C Greensboro City Council back in 2018 sure. that went viral. And the two things that people told me more than anything is you need to run for office and you need to write a book. And so uh, we, we got the opportunity to write a manuscript, a manuscript with a friend uh -huh. of mine. And then uh, we were connected with a publisher. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So sure. we decided to do what I think is most important for anybody. We told our own story. We didn't uh -huh. want anyone else to tell our story, not Wikipedia, not any news agency. We sure. wanted to tell our own story. So we wrote it down for all time uh, in, in our book. I remember seeing that Greensboro video and yes, it, it was remarkable. Not many people can take capitalize on a moment like that yes. and change their destiny. Yes, absolutely. 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 Wonderful. Yes, well, thank you. I appreciate all of your time. Thanks for coming in and have a great new year. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Thanks for watching Front Row. Major funding for Front Row with Mark Roderman is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Nicholas B. and Lucy Mayo Body Foundation, A.E. Finley Foundation, N.C. Realtors, Reifenberg Construction, Stephen Gleason. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.